how many brought your Bibles with you this morning? Hold them up. If you're like, why do they keep doing this? Because I'm waiting until all of you bring one. <laughs> we'll stop asking when that happens. So uh, why do we say it? What do we want? Yes, there we go. I love it. For those who brought your Bibles, we salute you. <laughs> uh, that's great. Thank you, Chris, for that. Um, love it. Love it. Love it. Uh, you know, and we've said this, the reason we're saying this is we want to get used to opening the book and opening our hearts to it. For many, uh, you've, you, you, that, that's something that doesn't happen in your regular everyday life, and we want to see that change because, man, when, uh, when, when he has your heart, uh, that's when you experience the delight and the joy of serving Jesus, which is what this is all about. Uh, we want to help people find Christ and find community, and finding Christ is what, you know, part of what we're doing here today. Not for like people who don't know the Lord. And if you're here this morning, you're like, what is this? Man, we're people who love Jesus and we serve a risen uh, Savior, the God of the universe who actually knows us by name and, and we can have relationship with him. Real, not just this thing that we say, really, really connect with God. And if there's a longing in your heart, I'm betting that that's what it is. And the good news is he doesn't love me more than you. He might love you more than me. I don't know. <laughs> But he wants that relationship with you as well. But it takes, it takes us opening our hearts to it. And so the, to the Jesus followers here today, we want you to pursue him today. How's your pursuit? How's your pursuit? Last night we did a little test and said, how, how, how many days over the past seven days did you intentionally pursue Christ? You spent some time saying, I'm going to either dig into his word, I'm going to be in solitude or in silence, or I'm going to take some time to pursue him. How many of you, it was at least one day. Can we get a show of hands? At least one day. And there's some, I know. I, we want that to be every hand at some point too. Some last night were like, they're holding up seven fingers. I'm like, yeah, pursuing Christ seven days a week. That is what it's about. Why? Why do we care? Um, because the pursuit results in fruit. The pursuit results in fruit. And that is what we're all about. So if you're well, I know you're here this morning. If you're listening online, would you grab a piece of paper and take some notes? going to give you a bunch of scriptures, and you can just jot those down. Those are probably the most important thing I'll say today, but if there's other things to jump out, jot them down so you can go back, uh, and I'll, I'll share a story later on in the message about why that matters. So um, if you got your Bibles, let's go to John 15. So start turning. If you're new to this, to the, to the, to this book, go towards the uh, center, and then keep going right till you get to red letters. Then... Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. John 15. This is the scripture that I'd like to share this morning is kind of like the foundation or the undergirding of uh, the whole of this message. So John 15, verse 1. I am the true grapevine. This is Jesus speaking to his followers. And you know, to be just context real quick. Um, Jesus had just told them that he's going to die, and he's going to die that night. And they're like, what? We, what? Like, what are, you, what are you talking about? And so they like, he's like, I got some really important things to tell you. And they're like leaning in and listening really, really carefully. That's why John could write this after the fact with such detail and saying, here's what our Lord said. He says, as we were walking, he said, Jesus said, I'm the true grapevine. My father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. He prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. You've already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. Verse 4, so remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. You can't be fruitful unless you remain in me. 
Yes, I am the vine, and you are the branches. And those who remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who doesn't remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. And when you produce much fruit... You are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. Yes. You notice some repeated words in there. Remain in me. If you remain in me, if you stay connected to me, when we say pursuit results in fruit, it's not our words, it's the words of Jesus. And so over the last couple of months, we've been talking about tools to help you pursue. Tools to help you pursue him to stay connected to him. If staying connected results in fruit, then we kind of need some things to maybe help us get connected and stay connected to Christ. We call it finding Christ, but it is that, that pursuit of Christ and that continual pursuit. So we talked about a target. Uh, we said there's a bunch of different things we can do that are going to help us pursue Christ. And so we said solitude and silence and Sabbath, uh, studying the Bible, reading scripture, praying, worship, going to church, being a part of a small group. But we, what we wanted to make people aware of is those are all, they're not the target. Coming here this morning and saying, I went to church and then, you know, I, I listened and I, I got a free brownie and I left, that, that's not the goal. That's why we don't really care how many seats are filled because the goal isn't just coming here. That's part of a goal to help you find him, to pursue him. It's why we did work, the, the, the singing this morning. It's like, oh, I hear all these people. It's like, I begin to look up and see Christ, to pursue Christ. And they're tools, not rules, because people are like, oh, you know, I haven't been to church in three weeks. Father, forgive me for I've sinned. We don't do that here. You know, it's like, it's not, it's not a rule. It's just simply a tool. Any of these things are just simply tools. They're not the target, but they're our, our means of aiming at the target. And, uh, you know, the past couple of weeks, actually a couple of months, we've been talking about this, had, had a number of people come and just share, like, their testimonies of, Mark, like, I tried some of these things, and, and it's happening. Like, it's, it's, I feel this connection with the Lord that I never had before. One guy was telling me, he's, he said, uh, he says, I, want, I want to try that solitude thing. So he said, I went home, I'm laying on my floor, and I'm looking at my ceiling. I put my timer for five minutes, because I'm like, if Mark can do two, I can do five. And so, you know, waiting for the timer to go off, and says, at the end, he's like, is my mind wandered the whole time. I'm like, is this all there is? Like, you stare at the ceiling, and five minutes later, you get up. Like, that, that, that doesn't totally make sense. And and he said, I went back and I listened to the solitude message or got the notes from it. He says, and I realized what I was supposed to do. He says, I went down there. I was like, my focus on him, Lord, just, just you. He said, I felt the presence of God in my house. And I'm like, boom, that's exactly, that is exactly what the hope is. It wasn't that I met with Jesus at church. I met with him in my room. I met with him wherever I was. I am in relationship with Jesus. I am connected. And uh, maybe that's been your experience. But I think just as many of those um, people have said, oh, this is what's happening in my life, I've also heard as many, if not more, like, Mark, this is, like, difficult. Like, I'm really finding it difficult. Like, I, I, when you ask the question, how many intentional days, my first response is like, oh, whoops, I was going to do that, but, man, I'm busy. Like, I, I feel like I'm too busy. And the truth is, you are too busy. Man, I feel like I'm too busy. Maybe you heard yourself say that, or you're, I've heard some, man, I just can't seem to make time for that. Fact, you cannot make time. There is only so much of it. You just get to spend it and use it. One of our um, uh, guys in our men's group was saying simply, you're going to have to sacrifice something in order to use that time for him. 
And we're like, man, I feel this over and over, week after week. And, and, and then what happens? So, you know, there's, there's a different fruit that happens in, that, in, in those times. And it's the fruit of like this, this, like this guilt or like a burden, like, oh, man, I didn't do as good as the other people here. Oh, I, I, didn't, I didn't find that time. It's something I want to do. But it begins to feel like obligation. And it's like you begin to feel like you're trusting your own efforts. And, and it has this, all of a sudden this negative tone to it. So my hope this morning is to set us free from that. Because that's not the point. You know, have you ever seen those or maybe heard of the couples where, like, they don't spend enough time together and then one of them, uh, let's say the husband, just to keep it real, it's like, we never spend enough time together. You know, you never want to hang out with me. Uh, and so, you know, and then they, <laughs> they get together, right? And it's like, okay, so we're going to spend time together. And then the whole conversation of spending time together is, you never spend time with me. Let's talk about all the times you never spend. And it's like, I don't want to spend time with you if all we're going to talk about is how sucky I am at spending time with you, right? Um, so for any of the married couples there, just, just don't have that conversation. Just agree, we're actually just going to spend time together. Okay, say it's the same with the Lord. Don't get into that spot of like, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. I haven't been here in like 17 days, you know. Like, oh, I'm going to really try hard. I'm going to get up at 6 a.m. tomorrow, I promise. Don't, don't, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Because you miss the delight that's in him. He just wants to know you. That minute you give him, just be there with him in that minute. Allow that to stir up like, oh, I just want one more minute. Oh, I just want one more minute. You know, as I was pondering this, I realized that that um, you know, most of the people that, I, that, that I've heard struggle about this kind of compartmentalizing this, this thing or having these sayings has been men. Uh, and so I'm like, like real men, like these kind of men. You know, like I wore the shirt, but that's about as far as I get, right? Uh, you know, the uh, like manly men, they're like, man, I like, I try, but I can't. And the reason I think, it is, I think that's because I, I spend more time with men. I hang out in men's groups, so that's where kind of I hear. But maybe it's the women as well. But it reminded me, as I thought about it, it was men that were saying this, that they have a hard time finding that time, finding that place, that I realized, you know, I was reminded of Mark Gunger's Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage. Anybody seen it? Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage, worth watching. It's uh, incredible. But he, he bravely tries to describe men's brains and women's brains. And, and, and I know it doesn't go always this way, but he says typically women have their brains brains are like this, like they're like a whole mess of wires, right? Everything's connected to everything. You start a conversation about this, it's going to lead to the mother-in-law and the finances and how you never spend time with me, right? It's going to like it's all connected. And then when men are like, I'm trying to understand women's brains, this is more what happens to us. We try and understand women's brains like, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, it's not like me. Because he says men's brains are much more like this. It's like a garage full of boxes. And we have like our, we have everything compartmentalized, we got a box for you. We got a box for your mom. We got a box for our job. We got a box for this. And it's like when we're in that box, we're doing that. We're not great multitaskers. We just aren't. Like, well, hey, can you do this? Okay, fine, but I got to put this box away so I can dig into this one. And please don't let this box turn into a conversation about any other boxes. Let's just, just this box. Some of you are married to men like that, and you realize, yes, yes, we see that. We compartmentalize, but I don't think that that's, that's always. You know, the, the problem, or I don't think it's just a men problem, this compartmentalizing thought process. I want to talk about that this morning. At the beginning of the year, we talked about building a biblical worldview in 2022, uh, a great series to go back and listen to, where we're talking about how do we think Christianly about everything in life? How do we think Christianly, biblically, about marriage, about parenting, about sexuality, about our job, about God, about church? Uh, and so we... Today, I just want to add one of those things to this. This will be building a better worldview in 2022 part, like, 11, I don't know what we're on. But it is, 
It is this. Do we think Christianly about pursuing Christ? We keep talking about pursue Christ, pursue Christ. Do we think Christianly about that? Or are we possibly borrowing our approach from a, from a different worldview? Is our worldview a scriptural, biblical worldview on this? Or is it that we're borrowing something we don't even know we're borrowing it and it's affecting us as a result? So 2 Corinthians 10, if you have it, turn, turn to the right. Paul talks about, uh, he talks about this idea of challenging the worldview. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3, he says, we're human. Oh, sorry, I'll let you get there. I love it that you got them, love it. He says, we're human, but we don't wage war as humans uh, do. He says, we don't fight flesh and blood. We're not fighting against people. He says, but we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. What are those? Reasoning, arguments, or things that happen in the mind. He says, we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. And after you've become fully obedient, we'll punish everyone who remains disobedient. I have never heard a sermon on that last line, but we're not doing it today. But it's this thing of, you know, we've often talked about this, about taking your own thoughts captive. Paul's like, yeah, you can do that, but I want to take your thoughts captive. He's like, what you don't realize is we're, we're not attacking people, but there are ideologies and um, belief systems and worldviews that are totally against the lordship of Christ. And he says, we need to have weapons that are going to attack those worldviews. People may have a different, people may have a worldview, but don't attack the person. Man, the, his idea is that by attacking their worldview, they would realize that it's a wrong worldview and they would come into uh, an obedience to Christ, that they would come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so that is the hope of this morning, that we begin to t- uh, tackle this worldview. I've been reading a book called Total Truth. I started it in the summer. I was like, I'll finish it by the end of the summer. Now I'm finishing it by the, well, it falls over. I'm going to finish it by the end of the winter, right? Like, but this book has been talking um, and teaching us about not what we think, but how we think. When's the last time you thought about how you think? Especially when it comes to this topic, you know, when everything, as, as people were, you know, since, since, since time began, people had this understanding, especially early, early on, and we read it in scripture, early on had this understanding that everything we know is under his lordship. In the beginning, God. Yes. You know, if people are like, well, they may not even know him, but they're like, yeah, I think, believe there's, this, this all came somehow. There's a creator that designed all of this, and it's all under his design and his authority. And then there were some great thinkers that came up and said, I don't want to believe that there's a God. I don't. I don't. I don't. That's out of my range. And so these thinkers, these great thinkers were like, we, we're going to change the way we think about everything. It's not everything under God, because we don't think there is a God. But we also know there are some other great thinkers who think there is a God. So how are we going to blend these two things or create options for these two things? And dualism uh, became uh, the result. And so we have guys like Plato. Plato, a real smart guy. He, uh, he, he, he talks about these, well, whether he describes it as two stories or not, he has this thing where they separate the two parts of uh, of, of life, reason, you know, the things, thoughts of the mind get thrown into this upper story. And matter, you know, the things that you can touch and experience and everything else, well, that's real. Reason, mm, these are just thoughts. These are ponderings. These, they're, they're different than these thinkers' thoughts and ponderings. So let's just throw them into the upper story and let's separate these two things. We can agree on the real, but the other stuff, mm, not so much. And as time has gone on, we've seen that change to become things like this, facts, 
versus values. Facts is like, well, this is the truth. And your values, well, those are just your beliefs. You know, and there's no real, like, there's no, like, you think Jesus is, like, you know, true. Well, no, that, that, you know, you think morality is, like, uh, one man, one woman, you know, for one lifetime. That, that, that's kind of your value. That's not, that's not a fact. You know, facts, we, we keep, they, they want to call those something that they can see, touch, and whatever, or determine. And just values or anything that feels like values or morality goes up in the top thing. Then we get to the stuff that we've gone through the last couple of years, science versus religion. Both have gods. Worshiping the god of science. Science says science can be tested and proven. You're God? Mm, I don't know. Throw, throw, him up, you know, throw him up in the top spot. You know, the Enlightenment and the Romanticism periods, that's where these two things began to really wrestle because you know, during the Enlightenment, they were like, well, it's all about humanity and man can be God because we're so smart and all, all of these thoughts of, well, science can be so tested. You know, it, it's all about that. And, and the Romantics were like, well, what about art and beauty and all these things? We're losing all of that here. And like, okay, we'll make a room for you, but it's upstairs. And then mind over matter, but it's the opposite way. We see matter mattering more than mind. The, the, the spirit, the will, the emotions, the thought, ah, that's, that's your truth. You can have your truth and my truth, but they don't matter. We want the stuff that matters to be the thing. And then as we carry on, secular versus sacred. It's like, you know, the secular, what we can see in our world, this is, this is, this is reality. You know, humanity's not sacred. You only think that because you've got another upper level thought about a God or something like that. Which leads us into these places where things like abortion become okay. And we'll actually fight against other people so that we can make that, you know, the legal and the norm. No, no sense of, of the sacredness of life. And not just on that end, you see it on the other end now too. You know, medical assistance and dying. It's like, let's just keep adding to the list of people we're willing to kill. Why? Because sacred's always oh, just a top-level thing. And what, if you see what's happening, and it's not, just, it's not just happening, the whole idea and the whole plan was always to get rid of the top level. Let the bottom level be all that matters. You know, science and the atheist movement will say, there, there's, just, there's, there's only a few things we have left to figure out. And once science figures those out, we don't need God anymore. They haven't figured it out yet. And there's some things they will never figure out. But can we get rid of God? Can we just get rid? Can we get rid of the upper story? So when we think about this worldview of two stories, two, two levels, there's a lot more to be said about it. Maybe we'll talk about it next week. But the thing that I want us to, to think about today is how does that two-story level thing possibly affect us as Jesus followers in our pursuit of Christ. Because maybe we are borrowing a a worldview and not even knowing it. Think about this. Have you ever been tempted to think about your life as a spiritual life and a real life? Do we have the house for that? Spiritual life, real life. Have you ever thought about that? You're sitting right here now thinking, this is part of my spiritual life. But tomorrow when I get up and go to work, it's real life. You know, where church and worship and devos is my spiritual life and, you know, work, chores, parenting, hobbies, driving, all that's my real life. You ever felt that temptation? One of the gals in our, in our devos was saying, you know, she's, she's got the uh, read and run mentality sometimes when it comes to devotions. Read and then, God, get back to my, to my busy day. 
I was challenged by that, you know, this, uh, this week as I was prepping for this. I thought, you know, as I was, I, I, like I've shared, I'll often spend time every single morning just in silence to just get the distractions out of my mind that I just might hear him. And as I've been in that spot, I've gotten used to the spot where I know when that happens. I know when, the, I know when it happens. The distractions are gone. It's just like, it's just him. And what I realize is my very next step is like, I'll grab a devotional book or I'll grab, you know, scripture or I'll, I'll begin to, to move on from that. And, and the Lord just prompted me with his thought. He says, why would you spend all of that time getting to the place where you can hear my voice and then move on? I began thinking about, like, my parents. They live up in Perry Sound. I thought, how weird would it be if I drove four hours through all the craziness and with four kids in the back, it's extra craziness, to get all the way to Perry Sound, be like, knock on the door, hey, mom and dad, give them a hug, all right, see you later. <laughs> They'd be like, you're crazy, and I would be. But how often do we do that with the Lord? So we get to that place and it took all this time and effort and we're like ready to book it. Spiritual life versus real life, this separation was meant to be this, this living in life together. What about private life versus public life? Have you felt tempted to do that? You, know, you ever hear of somebody you know and all of a sudden they, they, they screw up royally and you're like, how could they? I'm not looking at my wife. How could they? <laughs> Just how, like I thought I knew this person. Like, how could that pastor embezzle all those funds? How could they, you know, sleep with the secretary? How could that happen? I thought they were like one person. So our expectation is that people are the same everywhere. That's the expectation. But then how many of us are not tempted to portray a different public persona than we are in private? It's like, oh, oh, yeah. But there's this this disjointedness inside when you don't feel like you're genuine third one just I think applies is faith versus logic that's the feeling like this is separated like you know what I how and what I think about God versus how and what I think about the rest of my life and for some it's like this thing about faith and 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 following Christ is like for others would think well you gotta turn off your brain when you come into faith he's like seriously you guys believe that like a fish swallowed a guy and three days later puked him up like yeah, I'll turn my brain off for that one. And then we feel like, you know, when we get into real life, we got to turn our faith off. It's like, Lord, <laughs> I can't pray in front of people out loud. You know, or like, you know, something goes against your moral compass, and you're like, oh, but everybody else here, so I'm gonna, just going to go, I'm just going to go along because it's easier. Go along to get along. It's like, I'll turn my faith off in my real life. And we're, we're tempted to do these things. And where does that come from? It's because the worldview around us is like that. But I remember, you know, the, the, when I was a kid, we, used to, we had a fun uncle. I think everybody has one. But my, my, our fun uncle was uh, Uncle Nick. Uh, and he'd come over to our house. I don't know if it was what Dave was babysitting or not, but we were playing hide and seek. So my brother and I are like, we're maybe like five or six years, maybe a little younger. Let's go a little younger. We're like five and four. And uh, uh, my uh, uncle says, let's play hide and seek. I'm like, okay. And so... You know, he hides, and we go find him, and, and then uh, we can't find him anywhere. And all of a sudden, we hear him say, I'm upstairs. I'm like, oh, oh, he's upstairs. And so we book it up to the top story of our house, and looking everywhere in the bedrooms, the bathroom, you know, under the toilet seat. No, no, he's not in there. And it's like, all of a sudden, we hear, I'm downstairs. We're like, what? So we run and go all the way down the stairs. We're like, it's crazy. We only have one stairs. There's only one way. And we keep looking downstairs in the kitchen and some of the other living rooms. And, you know, all of a sudden he's like, I'm upstairs. I'm like, 
Okay, this is crazy. So we go back, and my brother's like, okay, you watch this way. I'll watch this way. We go up the stairs. We're like, on oh, the top, and we just kind of get around the corner. Like, I'm downstairs. He passed us on the stairs. How did, how did he pass? And we're like, this is crazy. So we go back down the stairs, and we go around. He's like, I'm upstairs. I'm like, okay, this is it. We give up. Well, sure enough, on the stairs, we had this little three steps and a landing, and then up to the top. And on that landing was a kiddie swimming pool leaned up against the wall. There was Uncle Nick in behind. Every time we'd run up, he knew, and he'd call, downstairs, upstairs, downstairs, upstairs, downstairs. And so, I know, I did it with my kids, too. It used to work. Not anymore. Uh, but I was, we were so confused. We're like, man, it just results in confusion. And you know the same thing happens to us when we do this upstairs, downstairs in our faith? We end up confused. We end up in all these things where it's like, ugh, it doesn't make sense. Ugh, I just feel like ugh, disjointed. Like, why isn't, this, why isn't this all coming together? And I believe it's because we're borrowing a worldview that we have no business um, borrowing when we pursue Christ. A biblical Christian worldview of, like, realizing that God is overall will change that. You know, and why is it? Our culture's happy for us to just accept their worldview when it comes to this and actually encourages it. They're kind of dismissive of our things. They're like, you know, have you ever heard it? We don't talk about that here. You know, at work? No, we do not talk about religion here. Dismissed. That's, that, that goes in the box. You know, or your truth? Oh, okay, you can have your truth, but just keep it, keep it up there. Don't let it affect my truth. You know, and it's, it's that thought. Or <laughs> your religion, your ethics, your morality, that goes in the attic. It, we do not talk about that. And we might be tempted to think that's how it's supposed to be, but was that God's design? So I have just two points for us as we just finish this up. Well, Jesus' teaching and Jesus' example. Let's talk about these two things, Jesus' teaching and Jesus' example for us. Jesus showed us by example how a life of pursuing God's presence affected his whole life, affected the whole life, not just the one box. You know what you think? Well, Jesus, like he's God. You're right. Jesus is God. He's always aware of God's presence at all times. Remember when he's uh, raising Lazarus from the dead? He prays and says, God, I know you hear me, but I'm just actually speaking out loud so the rest of these people know that you hear me. I'm aware of your presence. Now, Lazarus, get out of the tomb. And everybody's like, oh, amazing. But what do we know about Jesus is that even though he's aware of God's presence all the time, he would go off alone to spend time with his father. Why? Why did he have this rhythm of rest, ministry, solitude, and serving? Why? Why did he have it? Because he knew we needed it. He taught his followers the same rhythm, this inflow-outflow principle. You need to have the inflow of, the, of his love in order to spread anything out, and you need both. Remember John 15. As we go back to the, those scriptures, he's talking about those that remain connected bear fruit. Those that are connected and there's inflow results in an outflow of fruit. And the thing is that you need both. You absolutely need both. Think about this. If there's outflow bearing fruit with no inflow, what happens? You burn out. You dry up like a lake. If this lake has no inflow, but it has outflow, it dries up. And many of you feel like, this is me on the inside. Dried up. That's why people burn out. It's not, that they don't, it's not that they do too much or give too much. They just give what they don't have. And as a result, they burn out, dry up. The opposite is also true. If there's inflow, but no outflow, you just get stagnant. And for many, it's like, yeah, I sit in church and I hear people, the, the preaching, I take it in, I take it in, I take it in, I study the word, I study the word, I study the word, but there's absolutely no outflow. It's no good. What does Jesus say about the branches? He says, the branches that are connected to me have inflow, but don't bear fruit. He cuts them off. He's like, they are connected, 
But because they don't outflow, they get cut off. And we could have both of those types of branches, types of people here this morning. And the interesting thing about John 15 is this is something that Jesus told his disciples at the very end. This is one of the last things he tells them before his crucifixion. Why is that important? Because it's not the first thing he tells them. Think about this. Think about this for a minute. Jesus didn't call 12 men and say, hey, fellas, I'm the son of God. Go tell everyone. He, he could have, but he didn't. Why? Because he's like, I don't want you to just go talk about me. I want you to know me. So, fellas, come follow me. Let's do three years together. You're eating with me, sleep, sleeping by me, listening to me, teaching, all this stuff. Let's do life together. I want to know you. I want you to know me. And then at the end, he's like, okay, now that you know who I am, now go tell people about me. And they're like, we're going. He's like, wait. That's not you said, go. No, no, wait. Wait for Holy Spirit to come fill you with him because you can't do this on your own ever. Now go and tell people about me. What's he saying? I want, I want it to overflow out of you. Thought about this. That's why I actually had to go to the cafe. This cup's half full of water. How do I make it overflow? Fill it up. Fill it up, right? That's the only way to make this overflow. Fill it up. Now, what, what's going to overflow out of it? Right. Water, somebody said, but the truth is, whatever I put in it, whatever I put in is what's going to overflow. And that was Jesus' point. He's like, let me fill you with me so that, you, that, that I overflow out of your life. We have way too many Christians who have been told, go out, you need to go preach the gospel. You need to go tell people about Jesus. You need to go be more bold about your faith at work. And you're like, hmm. do a silent prayer, maybe somebody noticed. They think I'm a Christian. This is guilt. It's like somebody asks you, hey, you know, well, why do you do this whole church thing? You're like, I don't know. See, the truth is you really shouldn't be going out and talking about God. That's not his point. He's like, I just want you to be so full of me, you can't help it. I just want you to let me in there. Let me in there. Let me, so that I overflow. Because you talking about God, most of the time it's like, you're a hypocrite. Because you're actually not living what you have. You're, you're giving him, you're just telling him about something. He's like, but you know what? You let me just overflow? Man, like, that's what they need. That's like living water. And they're like, oh, snap. I want what that guy has. Oh, good. You know, it's him. Stop looking at me just, but I know who you need. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. He wants us to do the same thing. And not only did Jesus, ex- uh, was his example, it was his teaching. Got your pens ready? Jot down a bunch of these. We're not going to turn to them for the sake of time, but you can see, see them later. But Jesus always tried to help people understand by telling them stories. Stories of things that they knew to explain things that they didn't know. And Matthew 13 Verse 33, Jesus also used this illustration or this parable, this story. He says, the kingdom of heaven, remember that word, the kingdom of heaven is like, like yeast that a woman puts in, well, she's making bread. Even though she puts only a little bit of yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part. How much? Every part of the dough. He's like, hey, this is how the kingdom works. It permeates every part. Luke would later document Jesus' explanation of the kingdom in Luke 17, 21. You can jot that down. He says that when they were asking, where's the kingdom, Jesus? Where's your kingdom? Is it, when's it going to start? He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't think about it like the Romans and the Greeks. He's like, That's not this kingdom. He's like, it's among you. It's actually in you right now. The kingdom that permeates every part is actually in you right now. Mark would actually document Jesus' reminder of the greatest commandment when he said in Mark 12, 30, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all 
your strength. He's like, man, you, you, you love him with all. You don't turn your mind off. No, you love him with all your thoughts, with all your strength, with all your heart, with all your passion. Love him with all because the kingdom of God isn't satisfied to be one box in your spiritual garage. The kingdom of God is not satisfied to be in one box. I'm like, I got my God box. I do church on Sunday. I do devotions. I do whatever. I got the box. He's like, I want all the boxes. I want to permeate every single part. You know, it's this thing of acceptance versus surrender. We've grown up in the thing of where you accept Christ into your life, and I'll put him in, in, in the spot. I've got Christ in my life. He doesn't want to be Christ in your life. He wants you to surrender your whole life to him. You know, God's not looking for our acceptance of his existence. Like, I believe there's a God. He's looking for our surrender to his lordship. He is Lord of all. Whether we like it, believe it or not, he is Lord of all. Remember the original worldview? He's Lord over all. Will I surrender to that? Me? Gratefully. (laughs) Gratefully. Let that permeate every part of me. It's a process of surrender what does it mean? It means we got to question or redefine the whys in every other area of our life. Why do you have a job? You know, the part you thought is part of my real life, the lower category, why do you have that job? Like, well, because uh, i got to make money so I can afford stuff, so I can, you know, feed my family and be comfortable. No, not really. As he permeates, he's like, man, I gave you gifts and talents that are unique to you. Yes, I've given you the ability to gain wealth, but guess what? It's for my purposes. It's to remind the world that there's a generous God and to live generously. That's why I gave it to you. Let Use that for my purposes. Yes. You're like, okay, God, I surrender. Why do we parent? You know, maybe you think, oh, it's to keep these kids alive till they're 18 and then send them on out, you know? That's my job. Not at all. It is this realization that God has gifted you with eternal beings, that you have the opportunity to disciple and, and direct. You can't control but direct towards the lordship of Jesus in their own life. That the next generation might be affected as you made disciples in your own home. And you're like, that's work, but permeate. Yes, Lord, I surrender that to you. What about marriage? Ah, oh, I thought it was to live happily ever after. Like every other marriage. Uh-huh. But it's not. You know, because you're like, well, I just want to be happy. And they're not making me happy. And happiness is my goal. And he's like, whoa, 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 let me permeate that. And remind you that marriage is meant to be a reflection of the relationship that Christ wants with his church. That as husbands, we remember, reminded and saying, I'm just going to honor her regardless. Selfless instead of selfish. That I would be in a giving mode, in a loving relationship mode, that, Lord, let me, let me honor you by honoring her. Let me love you by loving her. God, permeate that. I surrender. Do you know the other cool thing about surrender? The same posture of surrender. What do you do when you surrender? <laughs> same thing as a posture of worship. God, I worship you with my family. I worship you with my job. My, my life is to worship you, God, I don't want you just in that Sunday worship box. Let my life reflect that. And it's this, it's this wholeness of our life in Christ. To worship him in our job, our parenting, our marriage, our school, our hobbies, our entertainment. Always, always to that thing. And so these, in closing, a couple of verses that Paul mentions where he picks up on and he passes it to the next generation. 1 Corinthians 10.31, he says, So whether you eat or drink... Or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Like, wait, what? 
Yeah, he's like, I just care about your eating and drinking. Do it to my glory. You're like, I don't know how to eat to the glory of God. Like, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Like, no, but we, we know the opposite. Like, what happens when you drink not to the glory of God? You should regret it the next day. What happens when you eat not to the glory of God? You regret it when you step on the scale or when the doctor's like, yeah, we got to talk. We, we understand those things. He's like, you know, when you're eating or drinking, do it to the glory of God. There's something to that. Colossians 3.17, he says, whatever you do or say, do as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Not just eating and drinking, whatever you do, whatever you speak, let those words, think about the words we speak, let them, let them be. But what do we know about speaking? It comes out of the overflow of the heart. So whatever is coming out of your mouth is actually here. It's a revealer to say, ooh. So don't try and stop what's coming out. Change what's going in and allow that to overflow. Then Philippians 4, 8, finally, brethren, uh, the new living says, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, there's any virtue or anything praiseworthy, meditate, set your mind on these things. He's like, I even want you to think Christianly. To, to do this test of the things in my life, <laughs> does this pass the Philippians 4, 8 test? Is it lovely? Is it pure? Is it good? Because why? I want God. I want you to permeate my life. I'm allowing you in every box that our life and our pursuit of Christ would affect our life with Christ and vice versa. That when you begin to realize, oh, I feel dry and empty, what I need is just him. And that as he pours in, you're like, Lord, help me. Show me where this pours out. First Peter 3, Peter writes this to the suffering, persecuted church. He says, instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle, respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. That way, if people speak against you, they'll be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. What's Peter saying? He's like, hey, when someone asks you, when's the last time you are at the grocery store and you just overheard two people in another aisle? Hey, you know, what's, what's, why do you live the way you live? You know, like... There's something about you that I just I just need to know a little more about. I'll answer, never. We rarely ever hear that happen randomly. But Peter's like, no, when people ask, why would they ask? Because as he permeates every box of your life, it goes against everything else that this world says and does and thinks. And you begin to stand in a different place and people are like, okay, why? Why do you take that stand? Why do you, you know, why do you um, go against the flow? Why are you doing some of these things? I had a gal in an art class. She was in university, and she said, uh, she, was, she had contacted me. She said, can you give me some advice or maybe help me out with this? She's like, we've got to draw live nudes. And she's like, I just don't, I, my, my conscience is offended by that. I, I feel like I'm doing something I shouldn't be doing. And she's like, can you, my teachers are like, whatever. But she's like, explained to them that it's because I'm a follower of Christ. And that to, to go against my conscience is sin. And I don't want to do He died for my sins. Here she has a chance to share the gospel with her teachers. Why? Because she went with her conscience. Man, what a t- one of those t- um, tough things to, to say. But for others, it's like, you know, why won't you come partying with us every weekend? Why don't you come, like, drink your face off every weekend? Be like, man, I've seen the emptiness of it. Like, whether I've seen it in others, I've seen it myself. I've, but also seen the fullness that comes in Christ. Or, you know, why can't you just leave your truth in the attic? Because this world needs it. And what the world thinks is true is going to lead them to destruction. When they think that you, you know, a, a man can be a woman and that you can just change kids by cutting off body parts and stuff and saying, oh, this, you know, they're going to be happy later. Oh, my goodness, the truth is going to come out at some point and their lives are destroyed. 
What do they need? They need people who are bold enough to say, no, that is not true. There's a God who designed that person, who loves that person, and who the answer is not in destroying yourself, it's in surrendering to him. Amen. And where are they going to be? Where are they going to be? It's only if it permeates the lives. Paul summarized it with this. For me, living means living for Christ. That's what life is about, and dying is even better. But if I live, I can be, do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. You know, as we talk about this this morning, leave you with a couple questions to think about, ponder. This dualism, this separation of thinking that our lives for Christ can be separated into different places or different categories. Have you thought about how you think lately? Have you thought about how you think about pursuing Christ lately? Is it this borrowed thing in a dualistic way where you're like, I have my spiritual life and my real life? Or have you, you know, renewed your mind to his way of thinking? It's all under him. Are you aware of his continuous presence all around you and yet still saying, I'm making time for his manifest presence. God, I just want to know you. Are, you. are you wrestling inside maybe with thoughts uh, of our culture and you know, this realizing and seeing it? It's like, man, I, I, I feel confused. The truth and the answer to that longing and that confusion is to know the truth. And that is Jesus, and there is no other way. And, and then finally, this is the one I think that it just starts with, is this, does the pursuit, does your pursuit of Christ, is it overflowing in your life yet? Is it overflowing in your life? And it's not condemnation at all, because there is no guilt, no condemnation, but the answer to that question is, if it's no, the answer is this, then just pursue him. God, I want to know you, and then I want to know you more. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, your word of truth. (laughs) Thank you that it does go and tear down the false belief systems that we may have or we see around us. Holy Spirit, uh, you're the only one who can make this alive and real in every heart. I believe you found good soil this morning where hearts are open to your truth. Lord, may that grow like seed in us. May your word cut to the inside and cut out what you desire to be removed. Lord, if there's boxes in our life that we have not yet surrendered to you, would you just reveal those to us? Yes, God. In our time with you, Father, reveal them to us. God, you have our life. You have our eternity in your hand. You have our past and have washed it away. You can have us. Thank you, Lord. Lord, may the pursuit of you become our only pursuit. And may that fruit change this world for real. God, I pray that in all sincerity and in all hope this morning, that you would do in us what you desire to do, that you might move through us in a way that you desire to. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for the cross where where we've got it wrong, you made it right. Thank you for your grace, your forgiveness, your beautiful love, the joy, the hope that we have in you. Oh, Jesus, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We determine today to delight in you as we live this day for and with you. In your name we pray. Amen.